that's when the founder energy really comes through of saying, well, let's go back to the early days and why we started this and what is really the reason why all three of us have committed our life to doing this. It's not a business. It's like it's not a company that you you know build and sell in five years. This is a life's mission. And so why and who do we want to build it for and where do we think our technology can take us? Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Alexandra Zatarain, co-founder of Eight Sleep and an angel investor in early stage companies, particularly interested in health, wellness, fitness, and products for women or Latin American markets. To give you a little more background on Eight Sleep, they're the world's first sleep fitness brand with the mission to fuel human potential through optimal sleep. They were founded in New York City in 2014 and they leverage thermal regulation, data, and technology to design products to restore individuals to their peak energy levels every morning. They were named Fast Company's Most Innovative Companies of 2018, and they have raised tens of millions of dollars from some of the top venture capitalists in the world. Let's dive in. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Eight Sleep has so much buzz on all the socials, especially Twitter. And because you're leading the marketing efforts, one of the things I'm really curious about right away just to dive in is the evolution of the marketing side from you launch really early with Indiegogo and raise like more than a million dollars to today. What has that looked like? What's that shift been like for you and the marketing side with Eight Sleep? It has been a journey. It has been a really different phase of the company in the last, I'd say, like maybe three years now. So in early 2019, when we introduced the pod, which is now our signature product, you know, that was new technology. That was a completely different technology from what we originally launched in Indiegogo back in 2015. And so that meant a new sort of fresh opportunity for the company from a product perspective, which is always the most important piece of your marketing, right? People have to love your product. Uh, but also we decided to reposition the, the, the brand and to really kind of hone into what's our true DNA as a company and the reason why we exist. And that meant not only a different visual identity, but how we talk about ourselves, how we define ourselves and how we went about and build a community and a movement around this new category of sleep fitness. Yeah, and back in the early days, so in the beginning, I've listened to a few different podcasts of yours and more recently just re-listened to the, the pop episode you did as well. And in the beginning days, when you join, you decide, okay, you're going to do this thing, eight sleep. What did that initial kind of marketing around getting the word out about the company look like? I'm curious. It was, I think, very basic. And basic in the sense that it was just at first about understanding who could be a potential customer? And that was really challenging for us because everyone sleeps. So defining a smaller subset, like a, a true consumer segment that we can tackle, because you obviously as a startup, you only have so many resources to put out there to, to spread the word, uh, was honestly really, really hard. And now when I look back at the process that we followed and the experience that we had uh, in, in the last three years, I think that we went about that process in bit of a wrong way where we try to sort of A-B test our way into identifying the consumer segment because the because the market and the opportunity was so big when everyone sleeps to said, well, let's put together all these different creatives and all these different positioning lines for our product and, and let's see how people react and like run a bunch of Facebook ads, drive people to these different landing pages and see what happens. And that's for, it's still very costly, still takes a lot of time. And 
it's it's not perfect. And at the end of the day, in, in the case of eight sleep, when we have such an, an immense amount of people and everyone in the world that we could serve with our products one day, um, we just had to decide at some point and say, well, this is the person we are building for today because this is the person who is finding the, the most benefit in our products and who we also connect the best from the perspective of the company mission. And the company mission is just part of our DNA. We can't get rid of that. We can't change it just to fit all these different people at different times. That's who we are. And so we are very focused right now on, on people who find themselves, identifying themselves in what we're building right now. Yeah. One thing I, I heard about, you mentioned in a different interview too, is just hearing about you getting the investment from Casa and then changing kind of the state mission statement, not the mission statement, but like the branding around Eight Sleep and that evolution. How do you go through listening to your your own intuition and insights you're seeing and always having outside perspectives from investors and everyone else around, like, you know, what maybe you should be doing? How did you go through it at that time? And obviously it's a pretty influential person that you that you got that information from. So I'm curious about how you like have gone through that though with the company. Yeah, I honestly think we have been very lucky over time, both to have investors that have guided us without telling us what to do, right? They don't give us the answer. They guide us and say, well, maybe you should be thinking about doing this, exploring this, thinking about solving this problem. So that's been very helpful. And also advisors, fellow founders that are very uh, generous and sharing that knowledge and that experience in that same way. And so what that has meant is that we've taken that feedback and then looked back into ourselves and said, well, what does this mean for our company? And we have always started with these conversations as founders. So both with Mateos, my co-founder and my husband too, and Max Fazara, the co-founder and our CTO, right? And said, well, when we got this feedback, if we need to reposition the company, otherwise we're going to just be perceived as a mattress company, which we are certainly not. Um, you know, it's, it's like an aha moment where you say, okay, what does that mean? What do we have to do differently? And how do we do it successfully? And what happened at that time was um, connecting first with other founders that had had to do a similar exercise. Because what you realize very quickly when you talk to other people that have been through a similar experience or who have not done it successfully and their businesses ended up being kind of just cornered into something that they were not, <laughs> is that there is a lot of listening to yourself in those moments. That's when the founder energy really comes through of saying, well, let's go back to the early days and why we started this. And what is really the reason why all three of us have committed our life to doing this? It's not a business. It's not a company that you you know build and sell in five years. This is a life's mission. And so why and who do we want to build it for? And where do we think our technology can take us? And uh, we had this memo that probably you, you heard me talk about in some other interviews that um, we had written, which is a memo that we shared ahead of the investment from Coastal Ventures. And that memo defined our technology roadmap. And that that was a, a visionary memo, right? We don't know still to this day for sure if we'll be able to execute on all of it, but it's still the North Star for the business from an innovation perspective. So when we thought about the brand, we went back to that same memo and said, well, this is what we want to build. We don't know if it'll be possible, but if this is what we want and why we are here, then how does this translate into the brand and the position that we need to have in the market? And so we tied those two together and it became very clear that we needed to build our own category because the technology that we were defining in that memo and all of that innovation wouldn't <laughs> fit in any existing product category out there. 
Yeah. And I remember from talking to Mateo before him saying like the amount of time that went into developing the product and it's like a couple of years of R&D and like it's so much to go through to create a brand new category with what you guys have done, which is amazing. And the branding and, and marketing around that too, and like telling that story around it so people understand what you're building and even the much bigger vision for it as well. And one of the things I'm curious about too is just as your company with COVID hitting, obviously, there's a couple of different things on the eight sleep side of things. One, I'm curious about the manufacturing, that side of it with supply chain issues, everything. And two, remote work with remote teams being the norm now for a lot of companies. Let's start with that and the remote work side of things. How has that your company operated within that environment? Yeah, I I would say, you know, from the perspective of just what I experience as a leader of, of the growth and marketing team and the feedback we've gotten from our team is that people in our team really enjoy it. Um, is it perfect all the time? No, just like it's not perfect when you have to go to the office every day, right? So yeah. it's it's a, a part of just a new routine that we've built over the last couple of years. Where we have benefited a lot as an organization is the ability to bring talent no matter where they're based. Uh, we used to be based in New York City, which is you know an amazing place to hire talent, but we also we're missing out on talent that maybe was based in Silicon Valley, you know, in places where more traditional hardware companies tended to be based. And now we've built pockets of teams everywhere with everyone working from home. And that has been amazing to bring, elevate the, the level of talent in the team, which has benefited all of us, even those of us that have been here for a while. And even the world, we've hired people in, in a few other, other countries as well. Uh, what we do in order to make sure that we all keep moving together in the same direction is because we're a mission-driven company, making sure every single week when we have our company on hands, when the entire organization gets together, start by reminding everyone what the mission of the company is and sharing the story of how that mission is coming to life. We tend to pull from all of those amazing things that our community <laughs> shares on Twitter and social media, oh, emails yes. that they send us. And we highlight those stories and say, look at how our product, our innovation, our customer service is impacting people's lives. And so I think that's just, again, of that reminder every single week in case someone forgot in the team as to like why we're here and why we're working so hard towards what we do. Yeah. And then going back to just the environment with supply chain issues and everything, I know it's you're focused more on the, the branding, marketing, and other aspects there, but as a company, you know, seeing those issues and people struggling all with that, like how has that gone and how have you messaged that maybe? Because I know we're thinking of things from like a customer service perspective of how you kind of message that to people, it's going to be delayed. And I know a lot of brands, people talking on Twitter about different brands being so delayed with their products for eight sleep. How has that gone? Have you thought about that from the branding messaging too around that? There have been different phases as well uh, with that over the last couple of years. There have been phases in which some of our SKUs maybe have been a little bit more delayed. We haven't ever been out of stock, which has been great. I think our team has done a tremendous job there. But the, the messaging part, what, what has always been very clear to us is that we need to be super transparent. So from the moment that you're purchasing can we give you the most up-to-date information as to what's the expectation for shipping? And it's never going to be perfect. There's always going to be cases in which we're going to have to, unfortunately, connect with you and say, hey, it's delayed and you know this is why. And we try to make up for it as much as possible. And you know, we try to hear everyone and their complaints or you know their kind <laughs> messages in that regards. But uh, the transparency from the moment, like we're not going to take your order and tell you it's going to ship in two days and then it's going to be two months, right? So that is number one. The second was really staffing up on our customer support team. That was another challenge for a little while last year as we were really starting to scale in revenue and your servicing 
so many more members that we had to staff up. And probably by now we're more than double the size of our CX team than what we had last year. And the team has done a tremendous job at also managing more channels. So making ourselves available in more communication channels for our members or people who are considering buying. So chat, phone calls, emails. We also instituted demos so you can get into a live demo or book a virtual demo to get to understand the product with someone. And so making ourselves more available. And then more recently, as we expanded to new regions, we expanded to the UK, we expanded to six countries in Europe, um, expanding the hours of operations for our CX team as well. So all of that is the best way to not just mitigate in moments when the supply chain may get a little iffy and things may get delayed, but also get ahead of it in case that we go through any period like that, which is not our case right now, we're fully in stock, then at least we have the team to outbound as soon as possible and be proactive and also manage the inbound of questions and complaints at times as well. What does it look like for you on the growth of different markets in terms of how you go about that launching into different markets, spreading the word about that, letting people know what does it look like for you guys there at Sleep? Yeah, it's a new challenge and how it has to be the challenge of 2021. And it's going to be a bigger one next year as we look to really grow these markets. But we approach them very similar to what we're doing in the U.S. And and what we look for when, when we think about how do we build an audience for eight sleep is first and foremost, we need to create knowledge about our category and sleep fitness as a movement. We need to make it a desirable lifestyle. It needs to be a part of culture, right? Wanting to be sleep fit, like it should be cool. And I think that is definitely the road that we take as eight sleep as a brand versus a lot of brands that kind of dabble in sleep in many other ways is that for us, it is that lifestyle. That's how we get people to adopt the healthy habits and eventually want to invest in the products that we build. Um, and so there's a lot of brand work there that looks like partnerships, a lot of storytelling with press, content development with content creators, right? Anything that would tell the story before we even try to sell you the product. Um, and then the second piece is obviously how do we bring all of our entire advertising operation into these new countries? Uh, that happens a little bit more slowly than the work that you can do with content creators. There's a lot of localization of languages that we're going through now with the new countries in Europe. And, you know, that that builds over time. I think for us, it was at first more about operationally getting a lot of these markets up and running and starting to build the brand equity. And then we're super confident that these markets are going to scale really well as we actually start putting the dollars in advertising. Yeah. And one thing too, I know you mentioned there already partnerships. You have partnerships with like Barry's, for instance, like the preferred sleep partner there. You have a, a number of them across like different categories and specific influencers. What do you look for from that in terms of how you strategically go about partnering with different organizations or even different, you know, influencers specifically? Like, how do you go about that? What's your process for that? Because it seems like you've done a great job with that. Everyone seems to be talking about it's sleep, but from your perspective, like how have you gone about actually executing on that? Yeah, the first thing that we think about with the partnerships is that we we want the partnerships to tell a story. It's always back to that storytelling when you're you're really focused on, on building that brand. And so we we think, for instance, with our athlete partners about each of their stories and what are they great at and what sports to operate in and how can Eat Sleep actually help them or maybe has already helped them because some of them like Justin Madeira's 
has been using the product for a while, even before we actually worked <laughs> officially together. Um, and so what is the story that we can tell there and how is that relevant to our audience and how is that relevant towards the story we're telling about the brand over time? What we love about working with Justin, who was just named as he won the CrossFit Games a, a few months ago, the, the fittest man alive, right? It's, yep. <laughs> it's such a cool title and you know he's such a champ and he's so young and he's such an amazing human being that um, being able to, to showcase how the, in order to be the fittest man alive, you also have to be sleep fit. And he embodies that because he used our product as he was training to win the CrossFit games. So it, the story, it's authentic, it's there. We're not fabricating it just to put his face in an ad. And that's very similar to what we approach with Barry's. Barry's has been a brand that I've always loved, Mateo's always loved. We always used to go to Barry's classes <laughs> in New York. We do the same sometimes here in Miami, right? It's like, we, yep. we, we love just like what they have built as a workout or regimen. They also have a very, very strong brand. And so when we thought about who we want to associate ourselves in that sort of fitness, digital fitness, boutique fitness brands, we thought Barry's is just so in line with how we think about health and wellness and fitness. And so if we can be their sleep fitness partner, um, that would just round up the story of, of who we want to be associated with. Um, and how we specifically, like, more in practical terms, go about it is honestly, a lot of these things happen organically because of product usage, which is so amazing. And then, yeah. like I mentioned, Justin Medeiros was using the product and we had developed a relationship with, with his manager um, because he has a bunch of other athletes he works with who also use the product. And, you know, similar with Barry's, you know, there's people on their team who use the product. And I think that's what's amazing when you build a consumer product is that from our own community, there are so many business owners and people building amazing things and athletes and so it becomes very organic yeah and like i said people rave about this on twitter if you're ever on twitter like if you're on vc twitter you hear about it all the time because you're <laughs> on there all the time but like you can't not hear about eight sleep and how much of that is like obviously the users are, are sharing their story because it's an amazing product itself but then mateo going rogue on twitter all the time it seems like he's tweeting like how much of it is like you feeding the machine and then you like taking yeah. advantage of what's already being like how does that go for you i'm curious no, you know, we don't feed the machine nowadays. And he <laughs> was just telling me earlier, he's like, I feel I'm doing a terrible job at Twitter. I'm not spending enough time there. I was like, well, I mean, you were building a business, right? There's not so much time we can spend there. Obviously, he, yeah. he looks at and I look as well at everything that com like where the company gets mentioned, you know, it's yeah. part of our jobs. We have to, we want to be responsive. And sometimes there's our customer service team that will jump on, but most of the times it's him. And, and that's part of our brand too. This company was built because of his own problems, his own vision, his own ideas of where sleep should go. And so we're very human brand in, in that respect. Um, early on when we started engaging on Twitter, it was, it was very, uh, very different, right? Like we didn't have much of an audience as individuals or as a brand. We were not really leveraging the platform. And it was actually Delian, one of our investors, who said, you guys need to get on Twitter. I think people really <laughs> love engaging with you there. Props so the all credit to him. Um, and it, it started, how it really started building up was actually with those initial people like Delian who were talking about us or the product because they were very, very, very early users, meaning they got alpha beta units of the pod way before anyone else did like <laughs> years before these things got out to the public and so 
that is what I would recommend to anyone who's kind of looking to build that sort of audience is that sometimes you need the nudge from someone else who may have a little bit more of a reach uh, who can seed you into the audience and that will add a little bit of that legitimacy that you need in order for people to pay attention. And so yeah. that is, you, know, you, you mentioned uh, also, you know, we'll be talking about investing as operators or as founders. That's something I seek to do whenever possible with any founders that I invest in, or maybe I just meet them and I have an investment in their companies, but sharing the, the eyeballs, uh, it's the best way to help each other. Yeah, and you've built that audience up. You have that brand recognition now. So diving into that, how have you gone about the investing side of things now that you've you've been an operator, built a successful company, and you're building your name as well around that? What is the investing side of what you do, Alex, look like now? Yeah, it's small. I don't do tons of it. Uh, you know, I still spend 110% of my time building eight sleep. But a few years ago, maybe now like two to three years ago, I had the opportunity to become a scout at a, a scout fund called Clio Capital, started by my friend Sirkins, who's amazing. And um, that's how I do most of my investing. And sometimes I'll do it directly um, as, as an angel or sometimes, you know, with Mateo, who does a lot of investing as well. But uh, what I'd like to focus on is companies in health and wellness just because that's where I spend most of my time or at times companies that also have some sort of like hardware component to it. Cause that's another business that I know very much is I stay within consumer companies because the expertise I can really lend to companies is how do you build your brand? How do you position your business? How do you market? How do you acquire customers? And so I really love, to partner with companies that are in that space. So I've been fortunate enough to invest in companies like Routine that's focusing on personalized uh, nutrition and levels that's doing metabolic fitness and then very different companies like Bottomless that does a hardware powered intelligent subscription for coffee. And now that you know they're gonna do some interesting things, they're expanding as well. And so there, there's, a, there's a few others, but there haven't been a lot, but most importantly for me as companies that are very connected to the space I'm in, so we end up doing really fun things sometimes together, right? We will, I'll get a chance to work with these other founders that I'm invested in to learn from them as well. We exchange a lot of knowledge. And so it becomes more than an investment. We become like a community. Yeah. And we have a lot of like operator investors now in our Vitalized Angels community, which has been interesting the last few months as we've launched this and got into the market and seen the reactions from people. And People are really interested. A lot of operators are interested who maybe haven't started angel investing before. They're starting to now be interested in angel investing and starting to see companies like, how do I get involved? For you, tell me more like behind the why as to why you even get started with this. You've mentioned a little bit already with, with you know that side of things, but I'm curious more as to, you took the leap into doing that. I know Mateo has been doing a lot of it as well, but more behind the why as to why you angel invest alongside of obviously spending a lot of your time, all of your time with your company, but why angel invest at all? Yeah, honestly, it was a little bit of a push from my friend, Sarah, who, who I mentioned started Clue Capital a few years ago, and she's always been such a huge advocate for, you know, your financial independence and how you build your wealth and particularly in our industry as women, like she's she, every time I talk to her, you know, she's always given me tons of nuggets and advice on, on, on how to think about that. Like even as a founder, right, your own position and, and, and wealth creation and, and how do you reinvest that into the ecosystem as well. And so I think that that initial conversation where she invited me to be a part of this really made me think, OK, maybe I don't have a lot of time to do this, but I think it's time to start because it's a journey and you will learn a lot. And maybe the first times you don't know, even even though you've been in the position where you're you're asking for investment, it's very different yeah. to then turn the tables and judge the company and like 
Are you making the right questions? Are you thinking about it the right way? Like, why are yeah. you deciding to invest? Are you just following or investing out of conviction, right? There's so many of those things <laughs> that come into play. But for me, it was just a matter of when, like I knew that eventually if I was lucky enough to have the means, I wanted to do it because I think it's that way to pay it forward. There were people when we were starting that angel invested in aid sleep and without their support, not just money-wise, but you know, they support you. They truly give you the vote of confidence we wouldn't be where we are today. And so I wanted eventually to be able to do that for other founders too. Yeah, even hearing that, what you mentioned as well. So one of my friends, he is a Series B startup and he's just got started with angel investing now in our community. And it's just like seeing the other side of the table is so much different. And he mentioned like, he hasn't really done a pitch in like three or four years. He's like conversations always, but like never seen pitches. And he watched like four pitches. It was like, whoa, this is so much different being on this side of it. And like, now you're evaluating them. You're like, oh, what am I looking for as a, as an investor? Like, what do I care yeah. about? And, you know, having these conversations in this show and seeing why people invest in the first place and, and why they even get into it. A lot of it is, of course, it's the financial upside and building wealth as well. But a lot of it is just working with these founders and wanting to help in some capacity, wanting to be around them and build that relationships with people. And it, it can be such a fun thing to do. And as I've started to get into it as well, and like, I know our first investment of our angel group was a podcast guest of mine. So like to have that full circle of like, I interview her on the show, then we do an angel investment in her company. That's amazing. I, I think that's incredible to help support her business. And and yeah. for you then, so you've done angel investing a little bit. How does like the products you see and you're investing in out of angel, angel investing and then eight sleep or partnerships that you make between those two? Because I know you have your own kind of category with sleep fitness, but there's always all these adjacent categories there. Like, are you going to partner up? Like, how does that go with that as well? Yeah, no, we do. We do a lot of that. And it was actually one of the other ideas that Sarah early on gave me when I started bringing some of these companies to invest in, in the fund as a scout is, oh, she said, well, some of these companies are so complimentary to what you guys are doing at Aid Sleep. You should think about really doing things together. And we, we've been doing a lot of that. And one of the companies that um, I invested in through Clear Capital is, is Levels. And so very early on, when I had the first conversation with with the team there, and they told me about metabolic fitness and I'm like, well, we're doing sleep fitness. Like we are so complimentary. And so, yeah, we do a lot of, of things on content together and how we tell our stories together. Uh, we share knowledge, right. And on how we are, where we're finding success in terms of our growth channel. So there are things that are public facing, but there's also a lot of cooperation on the background and, and just that knowledge sharing becomes really valuable because we are at the end of the day speaking to the same consumer for the most part in some of these cases. And and so that's like a lot of value, I think, beyond what, what we could do just for the public. Uh, with routine, we're working on some stuff now, uh, actually, that is coming out in, in the next few days uh, with, with some yes. NFT projects. And so there's there's a lot of just, yeah, fun things that whenever possible, if the, if the timelines fit for the companies, we'll find a way to be a part of it. Yeah, I love that. There's... I see so much potential, even like seeing a graphic of your category and other categories. And I've interviewed, interviewed someone from Levels too. And just like, it makes so much sense for being the same consumer and helping them. If they're already interested in this. It's like Eight Sleep should for sure partner with them as well. And and where is the best place for people to connect with you, learn more about Eight Sleep as well, if they'd like to? Twitter. <laughs> we were just talking about that, but it definitely is Twitter. That's where we are most active. They can find us with at Eight Sleep. They can find me. A underscore Zatarain, which is my last name. Um, and yeah, we'd love to engage with the community there. If you have questions about sleep in general or products or health, right? Mattel loves to talk to people about their health stacks and what products they're using. Um, find us there. We'd be happy to chat. 
Perfect. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at vitalizevc, or you can follow me on Twitter at justingordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.